Okay, start here in a second. So apparently lemon pepper wings are the thing that would make you break quarantine. Is that the thing that we're going with here, Nada? Because it got Rashawn Holmes to break the bubble parameters and it got Lou Williams to extend the quarantine period to 10 days. Is lemon pepper wings really that fire, Nada? Um, yes, yes. Here's the thing, though. I've never been. I've only heard about the lemon pepper wings at Magic City. All I can tell you is that if they're named after you, they got to be pretty good. Well, they have to be. And that's the thing that people keep making fun of is the fact that, of course, this is like the Hooters argument. The only reason people go to Hooters is the fact that, wait, no, the wings really are good. The only thing is here, Nada, that Magic City, after attending Magic City, Lou Williams tried to say that, no, it really was just for the wings. It does help that he does have wings named after him, Lou Will Lemon Pepper Wings, and the fact that so many other people are coming to his defense not a everybody that's ever been there seems to say no guys this is different this time this is not the hooters argument this really is the wings that are among the big draws at magic city not the only one but one of the big draws to go to magic city is because the wings are just yes they are that good they are they, they are that good and i get why he went i totally understand why he went and if it wasn't in the middle of a pandemic in georgia this would be a non-story and i would totally understand but at the same time uh it might be a non-story but i'm glad that it happened to some degree as long as everybody is okay and hopefully lou williams is okay but yeah it's not the best idea to go do that especially after you leave it was going to be just for a funeral and then he made a quick pit stop to go get some lou will lemon pepper wings this is locked on hornets today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need we're part of the locked on podcast network it's your team every day local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network and you could subscribe to this podcast on itunes stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcast make sure you follow us on twitter at lockdown hornets at walker mail and at not of the scribe doug branson going to be joining us at the end of the week i believe he'll appear with us on friday you can find him on twitter at doug branson loh and we're going to take just a day break from the player capsules we're going to have audio from James Borrego, the wake up call. We had a chance to talk with him this morning, had a long interview with James Borrego, had some interesting things to say, I think, about Miles Bridges and PJ Washington playing together for the long term, how they ended the season, what changed for them to go, I believe, four and four in their last Mm -hmm. eight. And all of those games were against really good teams. We'll also get his evaluation on what he expects from Malik Monk and the kind of role change that Terry Rozier underwent. We'll talk about all of that on today's episode. And then tomorrow we'll continue the player capsules with Cody Zeller. And then I believe Wednesday we'll have a guest. I believe that's locked in. So Wednesday is locked in. We have a special guest. We will not reveal. We will only reveal when it actually happens. Um, the only thing is the, we so often promise things on this podcast that we don't deliver. Like we are that friend that you just can't rely mm-hmm. on for the things that we say. And so I'm always hesitant to say that we're locked in here on yes. Locked On because we never really are locked. Yeah, in. no, no. This one I really feel like is locked in. I think you guys will really appreciate okay. this conversation. And literally I've done everything to safeguard. I've double safeguarded this. <laughs> we, we have created a bubble situation to record this. Um, uh, unlike baseball, might I add, and we can talk about maybe the things that are going on in baseball in the third segment. These Borrego sound bites are long, but I wanted to keep uh, them the way they are so you could get 
pretty much in full context what James Borrego was speaking of when he would speak about some of the things that I asked him overall uh, this morning on the wake up call. Let's go to the first soundbite, Nada, where I ask him what changed at the end of the season, really the last 10 games or so. Here's what James Borrego had to say on why they were playing some of the best teams in the NBA up to their level and even winning some of the go- those games, not even just being competitive against those teams. We really took a jump defensively, and I, I think a big credit uh, on that goes to the personnel that we put out there on the floor. We were playing a longer, uh, more athletic group. You look at the Martin twins, uh, both very defensive-minded, long, rangy. Uh, Jalen McDaniels, again, hardworking, long, rangy. We just felt longer out there on the floor. You look at the Milwaukee game, even though we lost that game, we were the first team to hold that team under 100 points in over a year. Uh, we were we held the, our opponents to the lowest points per game the last month of the season. So I think we really took a turn for the better defensively just with our schemes, our efforts, our overall principles, and then you add the personnel, the length to it, we were a much better defensive team as we, as we move forward. But I thought consistently throughout the year uh, we were a competitive team. Uh, I think we performed uh, fairly well in the clutch situations. We won the, one, the most one-possession games out of anybody in the NBA. I think that was a, uh, a real plus for us and probably a surprise you know, for me just how well we performed, how well we shot the ball in close game situations. But, yeah, in that 10-game stretch, I really felt like we belonged. Defensively is the biggest thing there, yeah. Nada, where you – heard James Borrego talk about exactly how much better that team was playing defensively. I thought it was a pretty cool stat. I don't, I don't know if I had heard that before. Maybe I did. And just a ton of things have happened since then. But um, the stat that he brought up against the Milwaukee Bucks, where even if they lost that game, that they were the first team within a year to hold the Milwaukee Bucks under a hundred points. And by a lot, yeah. might I add, they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks 93 to 85 in that contest. And you look at some of the games that they had, you know, they beat the Knicks, which, okay, who cares? But they held them to 101 points. They held the Raptors to 96 points. They held the Bucks to 93. They held the Spurs to 104. Uh, the Nuggets scored 114, but then they held the Rockets to 99. I mean, clearly defensively, you had one big outlier. They allowed the Hawks to score 143 points in that contest. Wasn't that a double overtime game, though? It was, but I also, as I'm going to pull it up here, um, yeah, the Hawks scored 21 points in overtime, so they allowed 120 in regulation, 30 points in the first three quarters or more. So that that was a bad defensive matchup, but I think overall, of course, you got to agree with Borrego the way that they played defensively in the last game against the Miami Heat after the big lead that Miami took early. Then they buckled down and held Miami to just 98 points in that game being in Miami, by the way. Defensively, this is a team that did improve quite a bit at the end and that was one of the reasons why they were competing against some of the best teams in the NBA what did you make of what James Borrego had to say in that I really do appreciate the fact that he brought up the defense and he brought up the development and they had finished very very well and I again I've completely forgot about that stat where they did hold Milwaukee under 100 and I think that's very impressive consider all things considered um, he was very, very right, and it makes me wonder what if, and this and a little bit of foreshadowing, the next clip, makes me really wonder what would have happened with those next 17 games, what kind of lineups we would have seen, what kind of experimentation we would have seen, and how many young guys, how many more young guys, would we have seen a race balding, would we have seen more Kobe Simmons, 
And it just, like, I'm kind of curious. Like, we're always going to wonder about that what if. what Who would have developed? Who would have the light gone on for if the season had continued? And I, that, I guess that's the thing. I feel robbed. I feel cheated now, Walker. And now I'm angry. No, I... Uh, James Brago feels that way as well. I mean, he's clearly extremely frustrated the way that the season ended and understandably. So I think we can also both things can be true. You can understand why the season would end because there is a coronavirus amongst Mm -hmm. us, but also, I mean, you can understand why you'd be so frustrated. The best that the Hornets were playing the, the way that they were playing the best that they had all season long at the end of the year against those best teams, then immediately abruptly the season comes to an end. And it's almost like the second half of that Miami heat game was happening in the abyss happening in a world where NBA news doesn't exist anymore because it's funny how we're going to look back at that game. I mean, clearly it was one of the more exciting and best games the Hornets had played because of the way they came back and dominated the Miami heat in the last three quarters after having such a poor initial quarter where we don't even talk about it because that was the same night Rudy Gobert tested positive for the coronavirus. So of course that's going to take all all of our attention away. And it was a weird game to broadcast. I remember talking with John Fokey about that. He's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're calling this game and yet we're getting word that the season is going to come to an end after this, at least for the time being. And it's, it's a great way to end the season, but also it's extremely unfortunate to, to see um, them playing the best basketball and us not getting um, us not getting more of that really good product. The Hornets. Yeah, no, that like, that's the craziest part. Like we would have gotten some real, I think we would have gotten some really good product. I also think, and this is something I, I'm starting to really uh, th- I think Malik would have come back. I think Malik might have come back with five, like, again, yeah, maybe eight, like five to eight games left in the season. And he would have been I'm not saying he would have been ready, ready. But again, it would have been nice to see him possibly finish the season with some sort of strength and some sort of like we have an idea of what he's going to be. But like, th- like I said, I just feel cheated. I honestly feel cheated. And mm-hmm. I just again it's always going to wonder like what if and how many more steps would these guys have taken would miles have figured it out at the four would pj have figured it out at the five and the one thing that we're getting from these clips and uh, again i'll preview this a little bit brago's wondering the same thing clearly yeah let's go ahead and play that soundbite on pj washington miles bridges how they will continue to play together on the court going forward, what he thought of them playing together on the court this past season. Here's more from Borrego. Yeah, we played them on on the court a ton together. You know, to to get Miles and PJ the minutes uh, we believe they need to develop, we're going to need to play them on the floor together. You know, is, is Miles better at four than three? Uh, We're trying to figure that out as we go. And, the biggest thing right now is getting these guys on the floor, um, getting them real-time minutes. Uh, and to do that, they're going to have to play together. Um, as the season went, we got Miles a little bit more run at the four. And in the end, that might be his more natural position in the NBA. We, we don't know that yet. We'll continue to play them together. We'll play them separately. We'll look at Miles at, at some four as well. Um, and it really hurts during this time not having – uh, those extra games to take a look at some different lineups. You know, we lost those 17 games, and down the stretch, uh, you know, the games you, you referred to, the Toronto game, the Houston game, uh, the Miami game, you know, we did play Miles a tremendous amount at the four spot. So in the end, that's may, that might be where we end up. 
Um, you know, we're just trying to navigate through this. But the number one thing right now is for a young player to develop, they need minutes. Um, and both these kids are good, good players. We believe in both of them. And we'll just have to see how this offseason goes. You know, maybe we'll slide P.J. to some more five as well. I think we played some lineups where uh, P.J. was playing the five spot. And um, where the league is going, it's getting smaller. Uh, it's getting more versatile. And both these players are very versatile players, hard workers. Um, and, you know, you look at those three guys. They were drafted 12-12 and 34th in Devontae. It's not like we were drafting one, two, or three. Right. All three are excelling. All three are getting better. Um, I'm really proud of all three of them. So as you mentioned, Nada, Miles Bridges playing the four. It was funny to hear James Borrego kind of talk about they play Miles at the four a lot in the games that they were winning and down the stretch a little bit more. I can remember Miles Bridges playing the four, PJ playing the five a little bit in the Miami game. I believe at the end of that game, PJ was playing five and Miles was playing four and they were able to hold on to that victory against the Heat. Uh, I think maybe what you saw against the Toronto Raptors, he mentioned Miles might have been playing the four, but also I think at the and like there were some times where PJ and Miles would kind of sub in and mm-hmm. out um, for each other, right? Like they weren't actually playing together. Um, I think in maybe like the meat of the second and the third quarter in that game against the Raptors that they actually won. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting, man. Like that that's a big question about this team. Yeah. We had those problems with the selection of PJ Washington. Was it too redundant when PJ was selected 12th overall because of the way that they traded for Miles Bridges, really 11th overall, the, the season prior. And what you're seeing from Borrego is the fact that he is still leaving it up in the air about what Miles Bridges' best position is as an offensive player, and or just as a player in general. Is it at the four spot where Borrego is leaving it up to a very good chance that, yeah, maybe that is Miles Bridges' best spot going forward in the NBA, and that's something we're going to have to figure out. Yeah. The thing is, Nada, is he continues to talk about P.J. Washington, you know, maybe playing some small ball five and being a guy that you can rely on, which I actually kind of like P.J. as the small ball five, especially if he fixes his rebounding. But if he does that, then sure. okay. I also feel like P.J. I mean, clearly that guy is best suited at four and Miles Bridges is someone that he might be best suited at four, but clearly PJ Washington is a more valuable piece to any team, especially the Hornets right now than what Miles and what he showcased the past. Yeah, that's the thing. Like there's a lot of this that like there's going to be like to to Stu Gatsit. There's a collision course coming at the four. There is a (laughs) collision course and we haven't even talked about McDaniels who might who's who's best position long term might be at the four as well we're talking about at least two guys right there that are going to be vying for the minutes and oh yeah you're gonna have to make a decision on miles bridges in about two seasons so yeah that's mm -hmm. and again remember if we haven't forgotten anything if we haven't forgotten this part and don't forget this part miles bridges is a clutch sports client so if like this and again, I hate to do this long term forecasting, but especially in a pandemic. But at the same time, if it's one of those situations where a year from now we're having this discussion on who do we keep, and it's I think it's best to take the temperature of Miles Bridges on that because if Miles doesn't want to be here anymore, it might behoove you like the decision, decision might already be made. 
for all we know. Well, I think Rod Boone had a really good article with Seth Partno. I don't know how you pronounce his name. It's either Partnow or Partno, but he used to work with the Milwaukee Bucks organization as a researcher, heavy, uh, heavy analytics-based information that he was giving us about both P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges. And one thing he pointed out was, you know, Miles Bridges being a guy that is kind of a low-skilled 3-and-D type of wing at this point, which can be an, a, a good player in the NBA can be, you know, can be valuable, but it's also like, here's a guy that's not shooting nearly well enough and also not defending nearly well enough. And he references the regular, uh, regularized adjusted plus minus the DRAPM. One of his preferred stats, he says, just for kind of a quick glance at what a guy might bring you on defense. And it's been poor over the last couple of seasons. And I think we've noticed that just by watching miles bridges with the eye test. I mean, clearly to me, not a miles is not nearly as valuable as what PJ is, especially if you just get to one PJ Washington uh, has one more year on his rookie contract and you could control him for a little mm -hmm. bit longer. And he's already given you better shooting with, you know, with just better play overall. And so that that's the thing, right? Like I just, I don't know how much confidence I have in miles bridges, PJ Washington, both of those guys being here long-term. And the answer to that is not getting rid of PJ. Like that's far from no, the, answer. the answer to that would be is getting rid of miles, at least from what we've seen or so possibly finding a way to keep like, literally, I don't think the answer is available just yet. But what I would say is if there's an that's answer true. to be had with this, I would probably lean towards PJ. That's the answer thus far. As the four, what you mean? As the starting As the four, four and then Miles moving and on? Moving on from Miles. But you don't have to answer that question anytime soon yet. And this is not to say Miles doesn't fit here, this, that, and the third. This is a, yeah. you have two guys vying for the same position, and you're going to have to dedicate money to one, if not uh, one or if, if not both, to keep. At some point, like, again, this becomes a financial decision more than anything else. Well, I mean, we'll see depending on how, how much miles becomes, you know, how, how valuable miles becomes. But the one thing I think you mentioned, you're completely right. The Hornets are in a position right now to where they don't need to make this decision. I mean, miles isn't even extension eligible eligible until after this season is done and over with. And so then you might try to start to figure out some things, but it's not like this is going to be a team that you know, has to make this decision right now. I don't expect this to be a playoff team. You know, maybe things get interesting because the East is so bad, but I don't expect this to be a legitimate contender in the postseason unless you have everybody take big leaps and big jumps, and then maybe we can have that discussion. But this is still a team that can figure out, tinker with, what is Miles best at? How do PJ and Miles continue to play together? It goes back to Borrego's point, though, about losing those 17 games and him wanting something, wanting some kind of equal time like the teams are getting in Orlando to figure out what they're going to do in the future. Uh, one thing that I will tell you you should be doing in the future and you should be doing it right now, it's visiting rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer. Choosing the only brand his warehouse just so happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and 
in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, and you can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. More from James Borrego in the next segment coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. Have you fallen out of love with uh, Lonnie Walker yet, or are you still in love with him? I think there's still a chance. Yeah, I think I there's know, still a too. chance. Yeah. I think he's uh, <laughs> playing pretty well right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets James podcast. Rago also talked about Malik Monk in an interview with Rick Bennell, where Rick Bennell just kind of questioned him on some of the things, some of the things that you, uh, I think, would start to question James Borrego on just what we can expect going forward. And Malik Monk was one of the things that he talked about, how he does feel like he's in a good place right now. And he would give us a little bit more detail on that, although also being vague on exactly what it was that kept Malik Monk out for so long. Here's more from James Borrego on Malik Monk. He's in a good place. I think it starts with his mind, where his head is, and he's in a good place. He wants to get back out there on the court. Uh, he's in our gym working, and now it's just about work again. Let's get back to work. Um, let's learn from our past and, and get better from here. So I think he's in a good place. Obviously, the last time we saw him on the floor, he was playing his best basketball um, of his career, and I expect him to get back there. You know, this is an opportunity now this summer to – to uh, get back to that place and, and exceed it. And now it's about the work. So he's willing to put the work in. Uh, I believe he's learned from, um, you know, the, the decisions he's made in the past. And now we're ready to move forward. Nada, you mentioned this before we actually got on the podcast, before we actually started talking on the mics. You do kind of like the way that James Borrego and the Hornets in general, how they've handled the Malik Monk situation by not airing out all of his dirty laundry, also making sure that they kind of hold him accountable, yeah. but still are giving him their support. I, I would agree with you. Like, I, I do think that the Hornets, James Borrego, I do think they're handling this the right way by not putting out all of his business out there, kind of sweeping the big storyline under the rug by not even mentioning that he was reinstated. I, maybe you would even want to a little bit just to say uh, you know, he reinstated he's reinstated and we don't have to worry as much but overall I think the Hornets have handled this Malik Monk situation pretty well yes no they have they have and they could have easily buried him said we're done with him cut him and basically saved themselves five million dollars this year and they decided no we're just going to lean in we've got this guy for as long as we have him and we're going to develop him we're going to continue to believe in him we're going to continue to support him and not every team does that. Like, think about the Knicks. Would the Knicks have stuck by him? I'm not so sure. And the thing that uh, I would say about this is, is this is a very holistic approach to at least rehabbing a guy's value, if not rehabbing the player himself. And allowing, give, and just giving grace to Malik for what he did, even though it was a very dumb mistake. And that's something that you heard Borrego say. He was, again, he was tough, but he was fair almost some Mills Lane-ish in there. But at the same time, I do think with Malik, this was a really cool thing to see. And the fact that they were let, letting him and still allowing him to be around the facility, even after all of this, 
says a lot. And more importantly, the fact that his teammates are still around, because if you saw his Twitter account, I want to say last Thursday, last Friday, you saw Dwayne Bacon there, Devontae Graham's there. So clearly his teammates still rock with him, which is a very big, very, very cool sign. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't know the decision that Monk made as far as exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I mean, of course, we can kind of speculate on exactly what it was because he did violate the NBA's anti-drug program. We did we do know that we do know that he was suspended indefinitely. But I don't know if that would be the kind of thing that would oust your friends or teammates that are on the roster. And so it does seem like they are still going to be hanging out. It does seem like Malik Monk is still pretty close with those other young guys on the team. Mm-hmm. And I I do think that's interesting to see exactly what Malik Monk is going to do for the future with the Charlotte Hornets team. Borrego mentioned he expects Malik to be right back where he was when he was performing the best that he had ever played right before he got indefinitely suspended. So, uh, yeah, Malik Monk as a backcourt player. Of course, I love him. I hope he continues to uh, to play well and to figure it out and continues to give us sustained good play. One guy that did kind of give us sustained good play in the second half of the season, certainly offensively, it was Terry Rozier, mm-hmm. nada. But we had talked about this before. Rozier in the exit interviews discussed the kind of role change that he underwent and how hard that was for yeah. him, how behind closed doors, this was somebody that was really battling the new role for him on this team after expecting to be the starting point guard. I asked James Borrego about how he handled Terry Rozier um, undergoing a role change, and here's what he had to say. Well, I thought he handled it, first of all, in a very mature, professional way. Um, it's not what he expected. It's not really what we expected. Um, but you never know what's going to happen as you start an NBA season. And, you know, when Devontae started to play the way he was, how he emerged, uh, it just felt like the right decision was to put the two of them on the floor together. And even though we were a little bit smaller, um, I still believe it was the right thing to do. And it, it allowed us to spread the floor, uh, put two decision makers out there on the floor, two big time shooters out there on the floor. And I think the biggest thing is he just handled himself in a very professional way. He didn't mope about it. I think initially you look at his first half of the season um, he was dealing with that. You could see it, and he and I had a number of conversations about that. Um, but I think as the season progressed, and I'd say right around the All-Star break, he started to really settle in and say, okay, this is my role. This is what this team needs. Uh, he was excited for Devontae, but he wanted to win. And ultimately, you got to have your best players on the floor to win. And he accepted that. Um, and I, I expect him to even have a better season as we move forward because – now he understands his role. Um, he's much more comfortable there. Uh, I think the expectations are where they need to be. And I expect him to have a, another big year um, next season. But uh, I was extremely proud of him, just how he handled it in a very mature way. Uh, he wants to grow with Devontae. Um, and obviously, he's going to handle the ball when Devontae's off the floor a little bit more. But we have basically two point guards, two playmakers on the floor together every time those two guys are on the floor. So um, I'm excited for him. I think he's, he's had a, he had a great year, shot over 40%. Um, you could put him in the most improved category when you look at his numbers as well. So uh, I'm excited about both these guys, but it's not easy. If you're, if you're coming in last season thinking you're going to be the starting point guard for 82 games and – after 10 games, I, I made a decision to, to tweak that. 
that's not easy for a young player. Um, but I give him a ton of credit. Uh, very mature, very professional approach he had. He gives Terry Rozier a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. And I, I always said, we, we talked about this. You know, I think Terry Rozier deserves credit for changing his role. I, I think he deserves credit for embracing, I guess, this role. I, I know that he battled it in the first half of the season to his own admission. And then in the second half, finding a way to play pretty well, be a guy that still shot very well from the field still, you know, and, and even just three point, uh, three point range. He shot really well. Also, Mm -hmm. also, you don't really have a choice, man. Like that's the kind of thing I wrestle with. Like, okay, it's either, you know, it's either completely fight back say I was brought here to be the starting point guard. I need to do so. And, you know, be a teammate that's not very good (laughs) and be someone that is actively trying to make the team worse because clearly Devontae Graham needed starters minutes. So you can either act the the bad way, either act in a way that would harm your team or you can embrace it. And I'm here to give him praise for that. But also it's like, man, the the alternative is something we would have been criticizing the hell out of. Yes, but we would have been criticizing a man that makes 19 million dollars a year. Like this is a long again, Walker, what you did was a long way of basically saying, you know what, Nada? You were right. You were right when you called it out on the pod. Oh, I did not. Wait, how in the world did you arrive no, there? Because, that I said that you no, were right. Because again, when we talked about this on on the Terry Rozier player capsule, I think I said the same thing. No, I? you did not. Again, oh please go no, check. No, no, that we're tape. gonna check. We'll check that tape at some point. I'm probably I'm probably either halfway right or halfway wrong. I don't even know. But either way. Um, but the thing is, though, this goes back to what I was saying, though. It, he, yes, he deserves credit for it, but I, the thing that I don't think people get is because he's one of the highest paid, like either the second highest or the, he's either the second or third highest paid player in that locker room, he's going to have a lot of sway, and things don't necessarily have to go easy. And yes, he would have taken some public criticism, but at the same time, he would have been protecting his own investment, protecting his brand, which is something that he also had to do. So I get why people would want to say, oh, okay, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You're doing, again, you're doing it the right way. You're doing what you were supposed to. But at the same time, it doesn't have to go easy. It doesn't have to go easy, and it di- and it didn't. And Oh, I mean, if it didn't go easy, then, I mean, if, if he would have done the other thing, Nada, which is protect his brand in a vocal way that would have caused some beef within the locker room or just within the team or just publicly, then I think that would have hurt his brand. If he tried to protect it, it, coming out and saying that you don't and, and coming out and saying you don't accept this new role would have hurt your brand. It wouldn't have helped it. He helped his brand by shooting over 40 percent from the field and from the three point line and adjusting to a new role where he actually was one of the better catch and shoot guys in the NBA in a way we didn't expect that helps his brand more so than fighting James Borrego for the new role that he wanted. Well, yes, you're, you're right. But at the same time, like this is what I'm saying again, how it would, it would have been pure Terry. You had the, didn't you talk to John Corrales and you were again, John Corrales was expecting a Terry Rozier blow up. Was he not? Mm hmm. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah. he was expecting yeah, him exactly. to change. We were expecting a Terry Rozier blow up, and Terry Rozier did anything but and decided to accept that. That is growth and maturity from that man. Let's applaud him mm-hmm. for being grown and mature for this, and let's move on because otherwise, this could have, like I said, this could have been a mess. This could have been something Brago would have had to deal with, 
And this could have been something where you're trading Terry Rozier for 20 cents on the dollar and taking up back more bad salary. Yeah, I, I'm here to praise him for the way he handled it. I, I also understand that it might be frustrating. Like, I, I'm completely cool with the way he handled it. I just don't want to go too over the top like, oh, my God, Terry Rozier did such this amazing job. Cool. Like, cool. You, you grew up. It's what we wanted you to do. And that's awesome, man. That's great. I'm glad that that happened. But I also don't want to go crazy over the top and think, yeah, man, you know, he handled this so graciously. Like, OK, yeah, but Devontae Graham is some Somebody that deserved to get starters minutes like you know what do you want us to do you know like okay play a lot better at the point guard position but it, or, or just you know do what's best for the team at that point as well and and what he did was best for the team praise him for it but also i don't know if there was a ton of of <laughs> i don't think there's another option for him yes, really there, yes there Either was way. yes there was well it would have been the yes. bad one okay yeah you're right it would have been the bad one and it would have completely disrupted the team in a way that would have had us really disliking the way that terry played but that's not what happened so whatever uh james brago talking about terry also being a guy that did improve quite a bit i did expect these numbers maybe not the efficiency numbers where they were not a certainly not the three-point shooting numbers um but i i, I do think I, I wouldn't put him like in the most improved player of the year category i don't yeah, know if Brago's i put him up being there nice with, there yeah, and, you know, I get it. You're a coach that's going to cape for your own players, which is cool. He said that Devontae deserves to win the Most Improved Player of the Year award. But it is somebody that absolutely improved just efficiency-wise. You know, he, he did have a higher volume, and his efficiency went up. And that was one thing I remember... <laughs> Terry Rozier and his camp telling everybody when you looked at what we did, what, what Terry did as a starter, his numbers were better than what they were coming off of the bench. And so that's something that kind of was true here. Like when he was a starter, his numbers, his efficiency, his overall traditional numbers, they went up. And uh, that, that was cool to see Terry Rozier um, play the way he did. Devontae and Terry becomes an interesting future kind of conversation as well. And in, in how, how much longer are they going to play together? Does Terry Rozier become a trade piece because of the way that he helped his value so much by embracing that role and becoming a good shooter? Yeah, there's that. And there's a lot of this that at some point, like we have the same discussion with Terry Rozier and Devontae that we did with Miles and PJ. At some point, yeah. this is a good problem to have. Like for right now, this is a good problem to have. For down the road, it's not such a good problem to have. And at some point, two of these guys are going to get kicked off the island, and then you're supposed to build a title contender out of this somehow. Who knows? That's Thankfully, that's not our problem to fix right now, Walker. We are woefully underpaid to do that. Nope, we certainly are. We have one more segment to go here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Develop winning habits. You know what winning habits are? Scoring things in the box score. That's what winning habits are. You compete. Rebounds, when you, assists. Yeah, when you compete, points. you get rebounds. When you compete, you get assists. When you compete, you score points. It's not you about effort. The it's about competing. <laughs> hey, you want me back on the show, baby. I got you, Doug. You want me back on the show. This is me. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. The Locked On Podcast Network is giving us a ballot for the Locked On NBA Player Awards. Doug Branson, being the guy that he is, actually made it pretty easy for us to fill mm -hmm. out for the Locked On Podcast Network. And uh, I, w without doing a ton of research, uh, because I don't vote, like I, I'm not going to vote on this, of course. Uh, I, I'll vote on this, but I don't vote on this for the big boys, yeah. right? Like my vote doesn't have any bearing on who actually is going to win the award. And so uh, what we can do here, Nada, if 
you want to run quickly down the list, we can try to give our award and and kind of vote as we do this. Is that something? Yeah, let's do, do that. Do you want to do this top up or bottom down? Because again, for those that can, again, obviously this is a visual meet. Again, podcasting is not necessarily a visual medium, but we have the list. We can go from MVP on down, or we actually no, we're going to build some suspense. We're going to go from defensive player of the year on up. Is that what? You, okay, you asked me the question, then you answered it. So be it. You are the yeah. man. All right, let's go. Defensive Player of the Year award. Who appears on the ballot? It's Giannis. It's Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, and Brooke Lopez appearing on the Defensive Player of the Year award ballot. Something I don't know if we would have expected no. to see back in his Nets days. Um, Giannis would get the vote yeah. for me. Yeah, Nada. Was, I think yeah. Giannis was the yeah. defensive player. I'm, of the I'm year. kind of with you on this one. Like. The thing with, like, I like Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis does have a little bit of help with Rondo on the perimeter. Um, Gobert, I refuse to ref- to vote for anything on him. Like, I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> Just his immaturity will prevent me from ever voting for him for yeah. anything. And, and we'll just go from there. That. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. Giannis is the guy. Like, I always feel like Zach Lowe does a good job of describing it where he just defends half the court, like at all times, just because of his wingspan. It's pretty crazy to see the defensive impact that he has. And he might appear on my ballot in a different award we could be discussing later mm-hmm. on. The other one that's up next, Nada, it's the six man of the year award. There are a lot of dudes on this ballot. Just real quickly, I'll run down. Uh, Davis Bertans, Mikhail Bridges, mm-hmm. Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, Montrez Harris. George Hill, Derek Rose, Terrence Ross, Dennis Schroeder, Lou Williams, and Christian Wood. A bunch of people on the sixth man of the year award ballot. Not I went first last time. I'll allow you to go first. Who would be your sixth man? I of think the year? I think we got to go Mr. Lebanon Pepper Wings himself, Mr. Lou Williams. <laughs> like, I think we have to. Like, he's been probably the best sixth man just running for at least the last couple of years, or at least since Jamal Crawford stopped owning the award. So I think we just give it to the natural successor, Lou Williams here. I'm going to go Montrez Harrell as the sixth man of the Mm -hmm. year. And you look at what Lou Williams did. And I, I, again, I'll mention Zach Lowe again. I hate saying this other guy's analysis and using it as my own. I I don't want to do that, but I listened to that sixth man of the year award uh, podcast that he and Chris Herring did. Mm -hmm. And they were discussing Lou Williams kind of having a carbon copy season of what he did last year, but Montrez Harrell improved so much. And I think the the people that I would choose between just based off the stats, the way that they affected their team this year, it would be between Dennis Schroeder and Montrez. Like those yeah. would be the guys. Yeah. And Dennis Schroeder put up some pretty dumb numbers. Not like I was looking that up at the end. And I, I just, it, it's somebody that I think kind of people had, uh, waned on during his Atlanta Hawks. Like he was, he was the guy that was the exciting backup to Jeff mm-hmm. Teague. Jeff Teague moves on. We expect Schroeder to maybe take a step up. Never really does. And then goes to Oklahoma city. He's with a couple of other backcourt mates in SGA and Chris mm-hmm. Paul. His, his clutch time performance was very good. And I get all of that. I just think like you look at the Clippers need for a big yes. man. Montrez Harrell was somebody that as a big man is it's damn valuable to that basketball team in a way that I think he's more valuable than what Dennis Schroeder was to OKC. I think he's even more valuable than what maybe even Lou Williams was to the Clippers because they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at that point. Like that certainly wasn't the case last yeah. year. Lou Williams was the guy, but Montrez Harrell was somebody that improved and you know they need a big man and he was really good in that spot. Give me Montrez Harrell as the sixth man. So, so wait, just to, add, just to ask you on this because the defense 
offensive numbers with Montrez Harrell d- don't scare you. Like the fact that he was giving up buckets to again, granted, even as an undersized center, like Montrez's defensive abilities didn't bother you. <laughs> Not a, if Lou Williams' Very inability true. to play Very defense true. doesn't Point bother taken. you, then Montrez Harrell and I don't even know if Montrez Harrell his the numbers were really all indi- that indicative of how bad he was. But Lou Williams still fair, is an awful enough. defender; he always has been. Um, let's go to the mo- most improved player. Of I have the a problem year with some of the names on does, this list, by the way. Uh, MIP. Bam Adebayo is on this list. Luka Doncic, Devontae Graham, Brandon Ingram, Norman Powell, and Christian Wood. Uh, I'll go first because you went first mm-hmm. last time. <sighs> this one was tough for me, and I hate to do it to Devontae mm-hmm. because I want to see Devontae win, but we already talked about it. Not a, I can't give it to him after the second half, the poor shooting numbers that he put out there. Um, I'm going to go... I think Bam Adebayo is my guy. I just think he was so good for the Miami Heat. And and for me, he was extremely valuable to that basketball team. I'm going to go with him even over a Luka, who is somewhat interesting. Luka doesn't belong on this list. Oh, he went to super like he he went. He did some crazy stuff. I I don't list. Brandon Ingram, Devontae Graham would be ahead of him, but give me Bam Adebayo as the most important. I get it. I get it. I uh, I, like Bam to me is second on my list. I don't think Luka belongs on this because again, you're a top five pick. You're going to get better from year one to year two. Brandon Ingram also, I don't think belongs on this list, but I understand why he was on this list. Give me Christian Wood, man. Like Christian Wood had a sneaky, sneaky good season this year. Granted, it was a contract year, but Christian Wood had a dynamic season, gave you buckets, protected the rim, rebounded well, and did this from an undrafted position. And probably the the Bobcat slash Hornets should have never let that guy go. But give me Christian Wood because Christian Wood showed out for a team, granted, that didn't have anything to play for. But again, Christian Wood was had a, such a dynamic season. He's going to make $20 million this year, too. No, it, it it is funny to think that he was once upon a time a Hornet mm-hmm. that just kept bouncing around from G League team to G League team, and here he is actually playing pretty well with the Detroit Pistons. All right, rookie of the year. This one's easy for me. It's John Morant. Uh, were you one that you you thought it was John Morant too? Right? I, it's, like I, you just thought. I think it's John. I think it's John Morant. The numbers say it's John Morant. I don't trust people enough to vote not vote Zion Williamson though. But but you're saying it should it be should emphatically be. John. Morant. It should be Ja. I do it not trust be. people to not vote. For for Zion, though. Sorry, Brandon Clark. I would love to put you there, but you would have to come in at least third in this scenario, even with Zion only playing 19 games. And the MVP award, Nada, finally, last but certainly not least, the guys on the ballot, the rookie of the year ballot, by the way, it was Brandon Clark, John Morant, Kendrick Nunn, and Zion Williamson. The most valuable player award ballot as it pertains to the Locked On Podcast Network. It features Giannis, Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, James Harden, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. Nada, who is your MVP? I'm going Giannis. It, it's not close. Like it, again, the only way that you functionally vote for anybody else is if you say LeBron shouldn't be doing what he's doing at age 36, 37. That's the only. That's the only way you do that. And even then, you got to remember he's got Anthony Davis, who is also on this ballot. I might add. Otherwise, it's Giannis, and it's not close. Quite honestly, I agree with you. I wonder how close it would have been had this season continued to play out with LeBron because if you look at what the Bucks were doing at the end of the season, I wonder, because remember, they barely beat the mm-hmm. Hornets 
and they lost four of their last five games. LeBron James with the Lakers had been somebody that was still balling. And if the Lakers finish the year strong, does that give them enough publicity at the end for him to actually make this pretty close? In the end, it's not. Mm-hmm. Offensively, Giannis was amazing. Mm-hmm. And we, are, we, we just gave Giannis the Defensive Player of the Year award. So LeBron doesn't come close to what Giannis did defensively is what we're saying. We are saying literally Giannis was the best defensive player of the year, which is 50% of the game of basketball. Exactly. So, okay, Giannis is the best defensive player of the year. The dude was amazing offensively. It's almost like the Tua Heisman campaign where like Tua's stats might have even been hurt because he wasn't playing the fourth quarters because they were destroying teams. Like, I wonder what Giannis's numbers would have been had Milwaukee actually been worse and Giannis had to play a ton in the fourth quarter to just pad his stats even more. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to uh, punish him for the Milwaukee Bucks just destroying these teams, him already getting his numbers, and then sitting the bench the fourth quarter, right? Like Giannis is no, the Gian- guy. No, it's not me. close. It's literally not yeah. close. Giannis was the best player in it's basketball not. this year, and it's okay to say so. Giannis was the best. It was. No, he was. He was amazing. And I still have my questions about him in the postseason. I do. I think they're legitimate. It's a fascinating storyline for me to watch once we get to the playoffs. Um, I'm pulling for him. I love Giannis. I want him to play well. It's just you look at what's happened the past couple of seasons and it's Giannis still needed to work on a jump shot. Kawhi Leonard owned him on defense last year. No Kawhi this year. The excuses are running thin. And I think the way that he performs this postseason will have a lot of bearing on his reputation, the way that we talk about him this offseason. That wraps up this edition of Lockdown Hornets. Thanks again to rockauto.com for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Hollinger and Duncan. We'll go with that one. Really play any of the shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Have a great day. It'll be the Cody Zeller capsule tomorrow. We don't have to do the spinning wheel of names. We already know it's going to be Cody Zeller. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. 